And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Welcome to the Football Super Leagues that never let you down. This is the Totally Football League show, extra time in association with Paddy Power. Hello there, I'm your host, Ali Maxwell, here to talk to you today about the only and best three-letter football acronym beginning with E and ending in L, the EFL. I'm joined as ever by George Ellick. George, I hope you've recovered from Tuesday's madness, and that's a broad term, really, because I could be talking about any number of things, not least <laughs> Oxford's United, Oxford United's latest 90 minutes of carnage. Are you saying there was something else that I should have been watching on Tuesday night? <laughs> uh, yeah, of course, uh, there was the news uh, around surrounding the ESL, European Super League. And we are going to be talking about it here, despite the fact that in its current guise, as the way we thought it was coming, it does seem to be no longer a problem. But we're going to be speaking to Cambridge United CEO Ian Mather later on, on his thoughts on the ESL, because it's important that we continue to use our platform to ensure that EFL clubs in particular are protected going forward and you know the solidarity payments that were spoken about with, within the ESL whilst we didn't believe that hopefully this can be a springboard especially with the government um, review in terms of football government coming in fairly soon fingers crossed we can continue to move forward so we'll be t- talking to Ian Mather later on at the top of the show we'll have the Tuffle Setmers our awards for the team of the week and the player of the week in the championship league one and league two from the midweek games and finally in association with Paddy Power will be our weekend previews one game from each division that we're looking forward to ahead of the weekend. I know you've always thought of yourself as the Gary Neville of EFL punditry, and I'm happy to be (laughs) Jamie Carragher for the purposes of this show. And I think there's only one place to start. And just to put my Carragher hat on briefly, I think it's just there. And in the championship, I think you have to, I mean, you have to shout out a couple of, of contenders, do you? I was tempted by Coventry, George. I think they've shown really impressive resolve in the last few weeks. Four wins in five for Cov to go from, well, very much relegation threatened to 16th in the table and and ready to plan for next season. They beat Stoke 3-2. But if you just look there, there's Wickham. (laughs) And the reason Wickham are our team of the week is not just because of the result on paper. Beating Bristol City at the moment is really not that tricky, let's be honest. But any team that sends their goalkeeper up for a corner at 1-1, let alone a goal behind at 1-1. That deserves a second look. And then it just came together. It made sense. Wickham, our midweek team of the week in the championship. It only gets better from the point where Stockdale, friend of the pod, David Stockdale, the goalkeeper, heads up for a late set piece. And as the ball's put back in, second phase by Joe Jacobson, headed to the edge of the box where Stockdale's lurking. And, I mean, it's incredible what happens next, really. The chest control, impressive. I wouldn't say it was precise, but it was impressive. And it set himself up for a half volley. One of those volleys on the bounce, George, that, like, you normally, you either miss the ball or you send it about 20 metres over the bar. But Stockdale managed to keep it down. He managed to keep it controlled. And there was a handball, was it? Yes, it was. Casey Palmer trying to block the shot. Just sticks his arm out. And there it is. And Wickham have a penalty. What a huge moment it was, not just for the club, but for one player in particular. So much pressure on his shoulders. Not that you would ever guess it. A critical goal as Wickham try and try and chart away to an improbable second season in the championship. A huge moment from a huge player in Wickham's history. Akin Fenwa, once again, the darling of Wickham Wanderers. What an amazing moment, not just for the club, who now, well, they're still alive, aren't they? The gap is six points. They've got Cardiff on the weekend, only three games to go. Uh, You know, the rhetorical question is, they can't do it. Can they? 
And I think you still have to say, no, probably not. But it's incredible the way that they are fighting Wickham. And it certainly is two fingers up to anyone who said they'd be the worst championship team ever and, and various things like that. But this is about Akin Fenwer as well. He made his professional debut two decades ago. Since then, over 600 games. None of them until this season in the championship at second tier level. 33 appearances this season and now his first championship goal. Now, Bayo walked off the pitch just saying, that's what this club's about. That's what that's what this club's about. And maybe part of him is alluding to the fact that Joe Jacobson, who we know is an unerringly accurate penalty taker, actually gave Bayo this penalty, which at one all in injury time might have been something of a risk. Here's what Bayo had to say. Well, so listen, B, if we get a penalty and you come on um, and you want to take it, take it. Um, so when we got the pen, I looked at him, I said, he goes, you want it? I goes, yeah. And he double took because he said he thought maybe I was joking. I said, you know what, I'll have it. Um, and he gave it to me. So I got a shout out at JJ because he is the designated penny taker. Yeah. But he did give it up to me for me to get my first goal. But listen, I've always said this as I've been here. Look, it's a team sport. Um, I can't take all the credit because Stocko got the pen. JJ let me take the pen and I'll just put the pen away sort of thing. But no, it's a beautiful feeling still. Now, as if being a, a, a wonderful set piece taker and a generous teammate wasn't enough. Another reason to like Joe Jacobson is that he's actually doing a bit of punditry on the Totally Football League show this coming Monday. So Wickham fans, keep your eyes peeled for that. We've had him on this show before and he loves talking football. So we'll hear all about their result against Cardiff, which was the team that Joe Jacobson came through the academy of. So much to talk about there. But as we leave it today, our championship team of the midweek, Wickham Wanderers, they are still alive, that's for sure. And George, you know, because of the story around Bayo's goal, Akin Fenwa's goal, he probably could have merited a player <laughs> of the midweek award as well, a gong, but you've gone for someone else. And I could have chosen any one of about six Bournemouth players after their 4-1 win against Millwall. And you texted me this morning and I don't like having influence from outside my own head when making these decisions. <laughs> I, ta I take the Tuffle Settmers very seriously. And you suggested that a certain Quentin Tarantino leading man, a, a Danish ghost, maybe should ghost in and be our first ever back-to-back -back winner. And Philip Billing was outstanding in this 4-1 win with a goal and an assist but I'm not going to give it to him I'm also not going to give it to David Brooks who we've been fairly critical of uh, at times this season who also got, got a goal on the day a really nicely taken goal coming in from the right hand side not going to give it to Ar Arno Danjuma who again scored another goal in such a good goal scoring vein and a player who is probably at the moment in the top two or three players in the whole division. I'm not going to give it to Ben Pearson, who has come in in January and I think has been as important as anything in terms of the, the turnaround of fortunes for Bournemouth, giving them both a bit of control in midfield, that bit of tenacity and bite, whilst also possessing a, a good passing range that means that he's an absolute steal. I'm not going to give it to Jefferson Lerma, who is showing the kind of ability that we've, we've become probably used to seeing in the Premier League last season. One of the players that Bournemouth have, who we thought should be much better at this level and hasn't shown it and is now hitting form at the right time. I'm going to give it to classic Dom, Dominic Solanke, mm. for a performance that encapsulates everything that this guy is about and showed us why Chelsea, Liverpool and then Bournemouth had faith in him to be a top-class striker. Now, he assisted two of the goals. He assisted the first goal for Billing in what was a brilliant bit of just centre-forward play, you know, muscling out the defender, winning the area ball, bringing it down and then a really nice layoff uh, into Billing's path for the first. His hold-up play for his second assist uh, for, for Brooks's goal was also so good. You know, getting the ball with his back to goal, facing off the defender, amazing vision to play a defence-splitting pass between the fullback and the centre-back into, into Brooks's path, who then comes inside and, and gets the goal. And the kind of interplay between Solanke and Billing, it's not a 1-2, I think it's a 1-2-3 between the two of them. So both kind of spinning off their men before uh, before Solanke calmly slots at home. It's just the sign of a player who has quality above championship level, playing for a side who are absolutely swooning at the moment under Woodgate. And look, as I said, you know, they are so well placed to be back in the Premier League next season. Now, as an EFL fan, it makes me a little bit sad, the idea of the three clubs coming down from the Premier League getting promoted. It's not a great advert for the leagues. Um, but this has been a bit of a different league. I do think that the, the COVID situation last summer meant that players who normally would have moved on didn't get their moves. And that means we've had three squads that have been 
kind of embarrassingly good on paper. Now, both Bournemouth and Watford at times this season haven't shown that. They've both had spells where they've been very disappointing. But in Bournemouth's current guys, they're as good as, as basically any team we've seen in the Championship this season. And Solanke has been a massive part of that. And I think that was probably his best performance of the season so far in midweek. Well, let's not anoint them as up just yet, but you're right to well, say I mean, that... They have to, they have to go through the playoffs, but I think they're the likely winners of that. <laughs> With a handful of cherries, George has picked his, uh, his player of the midweek in the Championship. In League One, team of the week now. And, and let's be clear, the main focus of your midweek recap of League One should be down towards the bottom. The League One relegation battle is intense, I think it's fair to say. I I don't want to speak about it with too much of a smile on my face because, of course, at the end of the day, four teams in this group of six will be relegated and that's pretty horrible. But in terms of a sporting spectacle, it is quite something at the moment. By God, are these teams fighting? Five of the bottom six won on Tuesday night. Only Bristol Rovers failed to win, which means their relegation is now all but confirmed. But it's four wins in a row for Wimbledon and Wigan. Rochdale, three wins in a row, ending Blackpool's 16-game unbeaten run. Swindon and Cobblers showing a bit of fight as well, heading into it a huge weekend. But none of them are the team of the week because a team much higher up the division, Charlton specifically, currently in sixth spot, the last playoff spot, they won 6-0 away from home. And, you know... There are a few things that you can't really ignore when you're picking a team of the week, even if you want to be a bit niche and a bit hipster. Uh, For Charlton, well, it was all about just being incredibly, incredibly prolific. Six goals from seven shots on target, four goals in one 12-minute period. And let's be clear, Argyle should be given the assist for many of them. They were absolutely all over the show, Argyle. But Charlton still showed quality. They were cold-blooded in the final third. Their fourth goal in particular was a lovely, lovely bit of of link play. And they're showing a lot of quality at the moment. It it must be an exciting time to be a Charlton Athletic fan after what's been a, a pretty chaotic spell, not just off the field, which I think we all know about by now. But I would say their general vibe under Lee Bowyer this year was fairly chaotic as well. They seem to lurch from great results to horrendous results with, with little in between. But Nigel Atkins has brought, has brought this sort of calming influence and it seems to be working very well. We should say, and credit to Lee Bowyer, I'm sure he'd want us to say this, they have had issues with injuries all season that seem to be lessening now. They look all of a sudden like that strong squad with a lot of depth that we thought they were in the first half of the campaign. Off the bench on Tuesday night, Anike, Shinny, Prattley, Morgan and Gunter. That is a really, really strong bench. And two years ago, Charlton finished the season strong and won the playoffs. They're certainly finishing the season strong. I expect them to be in the playoffs and maybe a little like Bournemouth. By the time we get there, we might look at this side and and think they could be likely winners of it because all over the park now, the team makes sense, the formation makes sense and there's a ton of players thriving, especially those wide men at the moment. So uh, it's all positive vibes. Of course, that's always going to be the case with Nigel Adkins in charge. And over a year since his famous Twitter videos started, well, they still resonate. Here's what he said the morning after the night before. Good morning, everyone. Trust you've all slept well. We start again. It's Wednesday morning. Out from my morning walk. His walking is brilliant, and what a great way to start the morning. Walking around by the seaside down here at Plymouth Hoe. The sun is shining, the birds are singing. Obviously, a great victory for us last night, but we've got to recover and get ourselves ready for the next tough game. That's what we're doing. Sleep's important, exercise, nutrition. Now, we need a bit of fun and laughter in our lives as well, which is important, and relationships. George, League One Player of the Week, it's the Hitman. It's the Hitman Pittman delivering a knockout blow to his former club Pompey. And I can't help feeling that Brett Brett Pittman would have wished, probably the only person involved in Portsmouth in the last couple of years, that wishes Kenny Jacket had still been in the dugout at the county ground. Because I have a feeling we'd have seen a uh, a celebration reminiscent of, of Max Powers against Oxford the other day. Because... You know, this was a, a massive game for both Swindon and for Portsmouth. Uh, Swindon needing, you know, if, if results had gone against them on Tuesday night, Swindon could have been relegated back to League Two. It was the first game uh, since John Sheridan's resignation up against a Pompey side who started the day in the playoff places, but on a, on a pretty poor run of form. And I, like most people, didn't give Swindon much of a chance here, but they put in a much improved performance. And in Pittman, they've got a striker who... I think I expected to be a pretty good replacement for Owen Doyle at League One level, a guy who's scored goals basically whenever he's been given consistent minutes uh, in this division, who again is a very, very good penalty box striker. But he, whilst showing some flashes of that ability, mainly kind of an aerial prowess, 
he hasn't really done the job for them. Uh, and in part of that could be down to just how poor Swindon have been. But he was brilliant on Tuesday night. He was so, so good. The opening goal, such a good finish in the top, top uh, left-hand corner from just inside the area. The kind of goal that we should be seeing Brett Pittman score lots of, but haven't so far this season. Um, the, the second was a penalty created by Pittman with a really nice little, little through ball, something we don't again see too much of with him. You know, Pompey sometimes deployed as a number 10 and then sticking the penalty away so confidently as well. So the frustrating thing for Swindon here is that five of the bottom six teams won in midweek. I mean, that is remarkable. Um, and I think for every single team, for every single manager of those five, looking at the scores after the game, they wouldn't have been able to believe that they managed to pick up three points, most of them playing against teams in the top half of the table and didn't really make any ground on the teams around them. The only team not to do so, Joey Barton's Bristol Rovers, uh, who had some pretty strong words to say about his side after the game, criticising the players' application and professionalism, even pointing the finger at their use of chewing tobacco. Uh, which was quite fiery, you must say. But for Pittman, this was, it might be too little too late. Um, it might be a hammer blow purely in terms of the of Pompey's playoff, playoff chances and promotion hopes. But it has given Swindon a little bit of hope, especially with Sheridan gone. I think the fans are now believing that if they can put in more performances like they did in midweek, they could have a squeak at staying up. And if Pittman continues to play like this and score those kind of goals, then you know they'll be a much, much harder team to to stop. Five of the six teams showing a stiff upper lip and one team showing a packed top lip. Very different, very different vibe there at the bottom of League One. <laughs> wow. uh, in League in League Two, look, at the top of League Two, that's where my focus was when looking at the results because six of the top seven in League Two won. And obviously, you know, it's a different kind of pressure, isn't it, at the top compared to those at the bottom. But six of those seven showing nerves of steel at the top of, of League Two as well. But getting the award right down the other end of the table is Colchester United. And I haven't gone back through every single award winner from this season, but I would be astonished if Colchester have won a Tuffle Setma this time around because, well, they'd only won one in 25, hadn't they? And, you know, drifting, drifting, drifting down the table, everyone doubting them. You know, they filtered through various managers, landed on Hayden Mullins to try and give them a little spark. And everything was on the line. You know, their very EFL existence for a team who last season were in the playoffs in League Two. It, it's been a horrendous season. And you'd have thought that there'd be, there'd be so little confidence. That certainly showed in their recent performances. But last weekend, they were 1-0 down to Walsall early. Uh, you know, so far, so similar to the last five months of football. But then they decided to fight back and they managed to win that game, which sent them into the Essex derby against Southend on Tuesday night with six points between the sides. Now, for the neutrals, that gap was not really what we were hoping. We wanted three points between the teams when they played. But for Colu, it just meant a slightly less squeaky bum. And to be fair, that well-oiled backside did the business against Southend. <laughs> Harry Pell, probably the star. It was his shot from range uh, that was parried by the goalkeeper. The rebound tucked in by Falivi. And then Pell himself smashed home following a set piece to put them 2-0 up. And I think the way they managed it from there was impressive. Southend completely unravelled. You only need to look at the amount of yellow cards received in the second half to see that clearly I think the Shrimpers had a look at the score, realised what it meant for their league position and slightly lost their marbles. But Colu very much held on to theirs and I think they'll be playing League Two next season, we can say with confidence now. Now, there will be no positive words said about this Colchester United campaign. I think that's fair to say. As I said, a playoff team last season sinking to this level, not good at all. Plenty of work to be done, but it could have been a lot worse. And the way they won on Tuesday night and the enormity of that game means they are our team of the midweek in League Two, I will just mention that Harry Pell, the match winner, who's quite the character, tweeted, Captain after, Pell. tweeted after the game, you know you've done something right when you get escorted to your car after a derby game that had no fans. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> who, who is, uh, who's Player of the Week in League Two? Player of the Week in League Two is from a, a dead rubber. Um, and it would take something pretty special, I think, at this stage of the season. Um, when I call it a dead rubber, I know Barrow aren't mathematically safe yet, but it comes from the Barrow-Port Vale game, where Port Vale went up to Barrow, beat them 2-0. Daryl Clark's Port Vale now the form team in League Two, with five wins from their last six and a draw unbeaten in that time. But the player of the midweek has to go, obviously has to go to Tom Conlon, because I think, and this is a big call, I think this is the EFL goal of the season. Um, it wow. is 
this is one of those goals where, I mean, I, I saw tweets of it before I saw it and I was kind of preparing myself to be disappointed because I often think uh, long range goals, people say, you know, this is the goal of the season, whatever you see it, and you're like, yeah, okay, he struck it well. This is an unbelievable goal. It's <laughs> effectively a, a clearance from the goalkeeper, which kind of ricochets into Conlon's path. And he's a player who we know is capable of the spectacular. He's got a beautiful left foot. But it's the technique with which he manages to pop the ball up and hit it kind of on the rise with almost the kind of with his laces, but as like a sideways strike and lobbing the keeper from just inside his own half. The whole, the technique and the audacity and the vision to pull this off is beyond anything we normally see at this level. I'm totally, totally smitten with the finish. And it helps as well that he scored the second goal to make it 2-0, which was a more simple, albeit still a good bit of footwork to kind of get the ball out of his feet and and kind of hit it into uh, a more open net with the keeper having come out to charge down his teammate. Um, But for this goal alone, I mean, he's my player of the EFL in the midweek. I couldn't urge anybody who hasn't seen it yet to go back and have a look. Um, It may not have been a game that had many of us um, following it intently in running but uh, but for this goal alone Tom Conlon take a bow the league two player of the midweek right then six Tiffle Setmers awarded it's time for our special guest next up we chat with Cambridge United CEO Ian Mather so it's the business end of the season and we need some results quickly welcome to the Liverpool Q2 offside let's brainstorm Hendo well, I spoke to HR and they got spare training and development budget. How about a new training ground? We tried that, it's too windy. Robbo, uh, how about we reward good performances? Oh, for, no idea's a bad idea. Let's uh, let's take it offline, yeah? Trent. Well, Gareth won't pick me. Uh, no. I need results, not excuses. Yes, Liverpool need results, but have they left it too late? Check out the Paddy Power site for the latest top four markets. Paddy Power. 18 plus, become aware. Talk, T's and C's apply. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League show Extra Time with George Ellick and Ali Maxwell. So lucky uh, on this show to be able to call on players and managers and sometimes other people with other important roles within football clubs. Today we have Ian Mather, who is the CEO of Cambridge United, on the phone. Ian, thank you so much for joining us on the pod today. Uh, You're very welcome, Ali. Good to be here. What a season, what a team. That is my first note here. I mean, Tuesday night's win against Leighton Orient was Cambridge's 23rd win of the season at the very top of League Two as we record with just a few games to go. What's it been like for you to to follow and support, of course, this team in in this most bizarre but wonderful in many ways of seasons? It's been uh, absolutely fantastic. It clearly would have been better had we had some fans or all of our fans there. Uh, I've been privileged to go to most of the games and uh, it's just been a joy to watch. Uh, Sometimes uh, it's quite stressful, as uh, all your listeners will know, when you want your team to uh, get over the line. I can't do anything about what's on the pitch. Uh, And uh, so in those 90 minutes, I'm a fan and uh, feeling every goal that goes in against us, but uh, equally really enjoying when we get the wins and we've had quite a lot. Now, because... Bolton and Morecambe are playing against each other this weekend, a fixture that we are very excited about on a footballing perspective and we'll preview later on in the in the show. Uh, a win for Cambridge against Stevenage this Saturday will do it, will secure promotion to League One. Will the champagne be on ice? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, we, we're not going to get ahead of ourselves because we, we're a club that likes to plan. So yes, definitely, it's uh, it's in the fridge. Well, it's going to be really interesting to chat to you in just a minute about planning and your role and and how you've approached it over the last few years. Um, But I can't move on from the football without talking about Mark Bonner. What an incredible full debut season as a head coach. Why did the club go down this route to promote Mark Bonner to this position rather than looking for, say, a manager with more experience at the level? I chaired the, uh, the panel that appointed Mark. And we did look at alternatives like any club uh, when a job becomes available. There are a flood of applicants and we had a a good range of applicants to look at. And we just liked his approach. And he also really understood the club. He'd been with the club for years. Uh, So he, he really did understand Cambridge United. He came with a very clear philosophy of how he wanted to play. That, and how he wanted to build a team. 
and uh, we've not been proved wrong, have we? He's uh, he's done an excellent job, and wow. I, I see his uh, uh, his pre-match briefings. He's he's very uh, thorough, uh, analytical, mm. uh, and very good at motivating the team. Well, it's often said that a, a team is very much a reflection of the manager or in the image of their their manager or their head coach. And I suppose one of the most pleasing things from your perspective, from, from everyone at the club's perspective, is it hasn't always been easy for Cambridge United this season. Far be it from us to suggest that you've blitzed every team, every opposition. There have been tough times as well on the pitch as much as off it. But they've always bounced back so impressively from defeats, such as the, the 4-1 defeat against Exeter a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, and we had a 4-1 defeat up at Salford when we eventually got to play that game. Uh so yeah, there were there were tough defeats, but the point is that yeah we have a defeat, but we're going to try and win games, and when you're trying to win games, if it doesn't work out, sometimes you might ship a few goals. Uh, that's what happened. I think the point is that Mark gets the the team, and the team also completely get this themselves. That you you get have a defeat. Well, life's like that. Move on to the next one. What, what can we learn from that mistake or those those goals? How can we turn it around next time? And we've got a really good track record of bouncing back. And as the CEO of the football club, the, the finances, the business side of thing is uh, very much your realm. This story, which we believe and hope will end in a, in a Cambridge United promotion to League Two, it's a nice reminder, isn't it, that success in the EFL is not all about the size of your playing budget? Yeah, without giving too much away, we have not got by a long way the biggest budget in League Two. Uh, we've made the most of it. We've selected players well, selected players who really have gelled together. But I say it's not all about the money. And it is, it's about the dream as well, isn't it? Uh, the fact that uh, we can have promotion and we can fight for it, which uh, obviously has been topical this week. Mm. Uh, we've shown that, yes, you, you can do it if you're uh, organised, focused uh, and uh, methodical. Ian, at the start of the season, it was suggested heavily, not just in the press, but noises out of clubs as well, that, that many clubs in League One and League Two wouldn't or couldn't make it through the season um, with the financial situation as it was, specifically without fans coming through the turnstiles. Could you just give us a, a, an overview of how Cambridge United and I suppose other clubs in your situation, other clubs of your size, managed to keep the season going. We, we haven't lost any clubs, which is just such a, a blessing. I can't imagine it's been easy, but could you just give us the breakdown of how we've avoided uh, that? Yeah, I think go back to March last year and shut down and uh, we, along with all other clubs, were really thinking hard, how do you get through it? The, the key factors have been furlough. It's been huge. The ability to uh, put people on furlough and gain 80% of their pay our, our, our staff took an 20% pay cut uh, for throughout the summer, uh, which helped. Uh, we, ha we had help from our landlords, Grosvenor, who gave us a rent holiday. Uh, so it's a coming together of, of people. And then, of course, our fans, uh, a lot of our fans bought season tickets, not knowing whenever they're going to watch a football game again. It was, it was really hugely helpful at that very difficult time. And then as we got into the season, I follow kicked in. And uh, we put a, a quite a lot of effort around our media to, to help generate uh, iFollow support. And after a few problems at the start with people, you know, getting used to that format, our fans have really clicked with it. And so consistently we're in the top three or four for iFollow passes sold. And that, again, has been really helpful. So it's been a combination. Yeah, as you say, we've got through it. And uh, at the beginning of the year, I wouldn't have, Gets guess that that would have been the outcome. And and if you don't mind me asking, what are your projections for this summer and for next season? I, I seem to remember that the summer months are a huge issue for football clubs. Uh, I think I think we we're going to be okay. I think uh, most clubs can now see the way to the start of the next season. The next key, really big hurdle is the seventh of August and the start of the season. And are we going to have fans back in a way that is not socially distanced? For Cambridge United, a socially distanced crowd is 2,000. 
uh, assuming that perhaps 1,500 of those are season ticket holders, actually costs us over £5,000 a game. So we, we, we start the season losing money if we have to have social distancing. We have to get to a point where we can have unrestricted crowds managed in a safe way, which is why I think these, these pilot events uh, are really important, showing how you can manage events with a full crowd, no social distancing. That's the key thing. Mm. Now, the word debacle probably gets overused a little bit uh, in the modern age, but I think I feel comfortable using it when describing the European Super League debacle uh, from, what, Sunday to Tuesday. Plenty of emotions across the world of football over the space of 48 hours or so. I'm just interested to get your take as, as the CEO of a League Two club. I think a lot of us were shaking our head for about 48 hours at those of us whose, whose main focus is the EFL, its clubs and its fans. Just talk me through how you at Cambridge United were reacting to that fiasco. Yeah, fiasco, debacle, they're really good words, appropriate words. What a mess. It was a completely, I think, ill-thought-through proposal. Uh, and everyone knows the arguments, against, anyone who follows football knows all the arguments against it. It just seemed to be that uh, six individuals or six groups of individuals in, in six big clubs couldn't see it. And uh, I think it probably is summed up as cultural differences. Uh, they thought it was perfectly normal and perhaps couldn't understand why uh, the fans of LFC, as their owner referred to them, didn't get it. The fact he talks about LFC says a lot, doesn't it? Mm. Um, uh, I, so it was, it was a bad move. I'm delighted that it collapsed, but I don't think we should let it stop there because you have to look at why that came about. And it came about because of the need to generate more money. And people talk about greed. I think there was a yeah definite element of greed, but there's need because there were clubs are running in big debt. Now, how can this be in a world where football generates billions and billions of pounds that clubs run at massive debts? It has to show, show you that the model is broken. It is not fit for purpose. And I think what we should get out of this is a proper review of how football is financed and how it can be sustainable. And uh, what I'd like to see come out of that review is a better sharing of the, of the billions that are generated. And we have to have some sort of control of uh, what clubs spend because uh, clearly it hasn't worked, has it? Yeah. Mm. Clubs have overspent. You've got clubs in the championship routinely spending more on players than the total income they generate. Yeah, We've got to get away from that position. And this is a time to say, well, OK, Super League was a bad idea. It didn't work. But let's use it as an opportunity to reset. Well, in EFL terms, that, that reset, that review, it's it's been interesting, in inverted commas, for a few years. And, and it's still very much... Part of the conversation as we head into the summer, of course, the salary cap, which I believe you were in favour of, uh, was scrapped. Um, we are now back to the SCMP, um, which in theory uh, is is going to try and move clubs towards sustainability, um, less of a percentage of their, of their revenue being spent on the wages of their players. I mean, how do you feel about SCMP as a measure to, to nudge teams back or clubs back in the right direction uh what new measures would you like to see put in place having been a supporter of the salary cap yeah you're right i was a supporter we were a supporter of the salary cap it was a very clear line against which you could be measured and that's the problem with scmp <clears throat> it's not a clear line it's a fuzzy line and the reality is we've had scmp for years and we've had clubs going bust so it hasn't worked it was the economist Kane said, if things aren't working, do something different. I changed my mind. It wasn't working. Uh, and so we, we came up with something which would work and I did think was going to work. And then the PFA said they didn't want it and fought against it. Uh, yeah. And now that's scrapped. Uh, there has to be a, some system of salary regulation. I think that's a key element. And I don't think SCMP is, is the right model. It's what we've got at the moment and we'll work within it. Um, but uh, it, it needs to be reformed. And, and just lastly, you know, you mentioned that 
yourselves at Cambridge are working towards becoming a sustainable football club and a competitive one, that there are people that say in the EFL's current guise, that's almost impossible to achieve, impossible to obtain. Does the uncertainty around EFL governance and those at the very top of the game, such as we've seen this week with the Super League, is that a big reason why you feel it's important to work towards sustainability? Because things do feel it's hard to be certain about the future of the English pyramid right now. Yeah, it, it is. Um, but we've got to find ways of managing football that it is sustainable. It's not a good model, I think, for clubs to uh, chase the dream, run out of cash, go bust, go into administration. Other owner comes in, he has a go, or she, uh, and, and then they go bust after a bit. That is it's just not a good way to operate. Uh, I had a career in law for many years before being a CEO. I dealt with lots of companies. There's only two types of businesses that budget for a loss. One is a startup uh, and the other is a football club. Uh, startups always start with the aspiration that they're actually going to turn it around and make money. Football clubs at the moment work on the basis they're just going to budget for a loss. And that's just not a way to run a sustainable business. Well, Ian, thank you so much for explaining so much to talk us through the Cambridge United's remarkable season and all the, the myriad of questions that you're having to face off the field as well in your role as CEO. Thank you very much. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to the Totally Football League show Extra Time from Muddy Knees Media and The Athletic. Oh, some phenomenally huge games happening this weekend in the EFL. At the bottom of the championship is where we're going to start because Derby, they're the ones, aren't they? They are the squeakiest of bums right now. They're on a downward spiral. Birmingham bouncing under Boya, their opponents this weekend. George, you're going to take a look at the Derby side of things. I'm sort of wincing as I ask the question, how bad is it? It's bad. Uh, it's really bad. Um, the only saving grace, I guess, is that Derby have been incredibly lucky that Rotherham have really struggled over the last couple of weeks uh, at home where they're normally so good because if Rotherham had picked up the points that we'd have anticipated they would have done against the likes of Coventry and Borough at home, then um, then Derby would be in a much worse position than they are in now. And they were helped by Matt Crooks' red card uh, on Wednesday evening when Rotherham were one that ahead early because that meant that the Borough were able to get back and win the game 2-1, which means that their current run of form doesn't make their predicament as bad as it could be, but they are still in masses of trouble. And, and they seem to be a team at the moment who, you know, to put it really simply, are, are very bad at picking up points in football matches. That is to say that sometimes still we see moments where they look like a pretty effective football team. If you look at the first half against Blackburn last Friday night, they were promising and, and looked to be a team who, you know, they went 1-0 up and were good value for that before losing the game 2-1. They're a team who who lose games when they play well and lose games when they play poorly at the moment. You know, they've won just one of their last 14 games. Uh, their top scorer is Colin Kazim Richards with seven goals. The next best is three. And Kazim Richards hasn't scored in his last 10 appearances. It's just really difficult to see how this improves. Um, you look at the, the midweek game against Preston, which they lost 3-0. Everson, the Preston keeper, made a few saves to keep them in it and was very important in that. And again, that kind of feels like Derby's curse at the moment. They're the, the kind of side who seem to come up against keepers who have a blinder every week. And, and Marshall himself hasn't really covered himself in glory in that time too. You know, the first goal in midweek, he could have done better. Again, on the weekend, you'd have thought he could have done better with the with the winner too for Blackburn. You've got to look back to the, the Christian Bielik injury for being part of the reason why they've been so poor. The one 
good, I guess, side of this for Derby is that their home form is actually quite solid. If you look at their last seven home games, that's in the period since Bielik has been out. They've won three of those and drawn two, conceding just six goals. So given that this game against Birmingham is at home, given that on final day they have the home advantage against Sheffield Wednesday, and the fact that despite going through such a torrid run, their form at Pride Park has continued to be just about okay, that should give Wayne Rooney a little bit of hope. But I have to, I fear for the for the midfield. You know, you look at Shinny and Bird as being the midfield two they're using at the moment. I'm a massive fan of Max Bird. I think he's going to go on to have a really good career, possibly at Derby. But this season, the reliance on him since Bielik's been gone for, for the legs alongside Shinny just hasn't worked. He's not somebody who... I think you want to be relying on to be playing that screening role. Um, he's a, a fantastic ball player. He is combative, but I think you need somebody with that little bit of nous and that little bit of positional discipline uh, to play there at the moment, which is something they're lacking. So it's hard to be at all positive. They need a spark from somewhere. They need someone like Waghorn or, you know, they need Waghorn to step up and score goals. They need Kazim Richards to find his form again because sticking the ball in the back of the net seems to be their big issue. Um, Tom Lawrence kind of providing their only threat at the moment and that's mainly from range as we know from him so no Ali I, I can't <laughs> shed much positivity here except for the fact that Rotherham look like trying to, they're trying to do them a favour and accept that you feel it's all still very much in their own hands because four points from those those two home games this one against Birmingham and the one on final day against Sheffield Wednesday whichever way it is beating Birmingham and drawing against Wednesday that should be enough and, and based on their current home form even despite everything that's going wrong, that shouldn't be um, too tricky to pick up. Well, they're playing against a Birmingham side full of positivity, full of good, positive atmosphere. And and that's because the fourth best record in the league since Lee Boyer became their manager and replaced Itor Karanka. Absolutely incredible impact. In terms of results, it's four wins, two draws and one defeat in seven games. And it's not just worth looking at the results themselves, but remembering what this Birmingham side was one month ago, or just over one month ago. Under Karanka, it became almost impossible to see where wins would come from. Dare I say it, a situation that Derby might be experiencing right now. There was no positivity whatsoever in the body language of the manager or the players. The game plan was always reactive rather than proactive. The performances followed suit. And that's why Leboya deserves unbelievable credit for I suppose a man management job a motivational job first and foremost but also defensively is where they really stand out they've only conceded five goals in those seven games and three of them were in defeat against Watford a very impressive side so just two goals conceded uh, in six outside of that Watford game and of course that makes it pretty easy to pick up points pretty easy to pick up results Uh, going forward well I think the nicest way to put it is Boya has kept it pretty simple and is playing to the strengths of the squad that he has at his disposal. Lukas Djukovic has scored three goals since Boya returned. And I think everyone who's watched any championship football over the last decade knows exactly what Djukovic's strengths are. But it's the aerial route, isn't it? It's aerial bombardment that's working so far and a good record from set pieces. Uh, Here are the goals the Blues have scored so far under Boya. A Djukovic header, a Dean header. A Djukovic tap-in following a rebound, a Hogan penalty, a Djukovic header, a Dean header and a Roberts header in midweek in their draw with Nottingham Forest. Now, I guess one thing you're clinging on to as a Derby fan, will Birmingham, now 10 points clear of relegation, feel safe and therefore take the foot off the gas? I mean, it is 10 points clear of Rotherham, but Rotherham do have those games in hand, which means I'm pretty confident they won't be thinking like that. And also, I think when you're winning, and when you're winning quite specifically, having gone through such a miserable few months, why would you take your foot off the gas? Birmingham are enjoying their football at the moment, enjoying playing for Lee Bowyer. And I don't see them really making this easy for Derby in the same way that some teams do towards the end of the season. Normally, mid-table sides are the ones you kind of want to play against, isn't it? So I think it's bad news for Derby, I'm afraid. I think Blues under Boya will maintain this performance for at least another match or two until survival and safety is is mathematically secured. Uh, And I don't think it's going to be easy at all. Interestingly, in terms of the Paddy Power odds, Derby are favourites for the game. 
11 to 8 favourites to be specific, with Birmingham 21 to 10, uh, the outsiders in the draw 2 to 1. So Paddy's think a derby win is more probable. I dare say it's hard for their fans to agree with that, but interesting uh, nonetheless. George, in League One this weekend, a gigantic weekend. Hull City could be promoted. They will be promoted if they beat Lincoln City, but we're going elsewhere for our fixture of the weekend. Yeah, you've already touched on on the resurgent Charlton and they host Peterborough. And what I'd say, it's a massive game for both sides, really, because you've got Peterborough who will have one eye on chasing down Hull to win League One. And one eye... If, you know, if Lincoln's good run of form continues and Peterborough don't pick up three points in this game, then suddenly Lincoln are going to be within shooting distance for that second automatic spot, which I think neither of us thought would be possible a couple of weeks ago. Still very unlikely, of course, but Posh and Darren Ferguson will know that they can't rest on their laurels because a poor run could see them suck back into it. For Charlton, they are now in the box seat to pick up that final playoff place. They, the results couldn't have gone better for them in midweek. Obviously, beating Plymouth Argyle 6-0 away from home is pretty good. But when you add to that Pompey losing to Swindon and Oxford losing to AFC Wimbledon, it feels like they picked up about six points on the field in midweek with that win and also the, the enhanced goal difference from the from the six-goal uh, swing important as well. And when you go through, you know, I, I joked in, in the Bournemouth section about having been able to pick so many players. Charlton under Nigel Atkins... The form is obviously very good um, for starters, but the, it's the individual form that really impresses me. There are so many informed players. Jaden Stockley has been a revelation under Adkins. It's not just his goal scoring, even though he is picking up goals. It's his hold-up play. It's his ability to lead the line. Charlton fans absolutely smitten with Stockley at the moment, and the two players either side of him, you know, Richard Corley, who's the um, who, who for the um, South London Press tweeted during the Argyle game that Liam Miller on loan from Liverpool, was unplayable on Tuesday evening. you got Dierleng Jaisimi, who they brought in from, from Swindon very late on in the transfer window. Felt like a little bit of an afterthought, to be honest, despite his really good performances at Swindon. They needed to bring a player in, and he was the one who came in late on and didn't really make much of an impact under Lee Bowyer. Different story under Adkins. You know, he's got two assists and a goal um, and getting regular starts under Adkins and is improving game on game. And again, he was very, very good in the game against Argyle. Alex Gilby's a player that we know have has, has serious quality uh, at League One level and scored a lovely goal. They just have players across the pitch. You know, this, suddenly this looks like a team full of ballers and that's not something that we ever really thought with Charlton. Jake Forsakaski, another one who we know when he's on song, such a good pass for the ball, a great set piece taker too, playing really, really well on the left-hand side of, uh, of the midfield three in the 4-3-3. Just all makes a lot of sense at the <clears> moment, doesn't it? Like even, you know, by which I mean looking at the team on paper and watching them, everything just kind of makes sense, which is great. Yeah, I mean, this is a good League One side who are performing at a very high level. Um, the one thing I'd point out as a slight balance, you know, is that Argyle had their chances. I know that sounds funny to say in a 6-0 win, but they probably had the better of the game until the first goal. Um, Amos had to make some some big saves in the match for for Charlton. And given that the magnitude of this game for Peterborough after their loss of midweek to Gillingham, you know, this isn't a game that, that the posh can come into and think a point is will suffice. I think this is going to be fairly end-to-end. I expect both teams to create plenty of chances and it should be should be a really good game for the neutral. The one caveat, which is, you know, this is pretty tenuous and probably isn't necessarily something that Nigel Atkins is thinking about, but Charlton have Lincoln and Hull as their last two games of the season. Not only will a win here obviously do their chances no end of good, um, in terms of securing that spot. But if if it's all going to come down to that last game against Hull and they have to hold off either Pompey or Oxford for that last spot, winning this game makes the chances of that game being a dead rubber for Hull infinitely higher. If they win here, the chances of Hull being champions on final day is much, much stronger than if Posh win this game. So maybe, N- Nigel, if you're listening, you can tell the lads, not only is this important for the three points, but also you could be doing yourself a favour in a couple of weeks too. Trying to give Mr. Motivator more motivational Correct. tips. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I said wow. I said he would know that. If anybody knows this, if anybody's worked out another way to put a positive spin on the game, then it'll be Nigel Atkins. Well, their opponents, posh, are in a very good position. Uh, they're seven points clear of Sunderland. 
uh, and of Lincoln, although Lincoln have a game in hand over them. So Lincoln, you'd say, just looking at the maths, their biggest threat for the top two at the moment. But to all intents and purposes, they are strong, strong favourites for automatic promotion. And that's despite a, a defeat to Jills in midweek. I guess Sunderland and Hull's draw meant that that result felt less disastrous than otherwise it might do when you lose a game towards the end of the season and you're trying to secure automatic promotion. I, I like to think that Darren Ferguson, with his calm leadership, will have been you know, fairly, fairly clear that this was not a disastrous performance by any means either. Disappointing, sure, but not horrendous, not worrying, I wouldn't say. They didn't deal well with a long throw early on. They conceded uh, a second, you know, the, the second ball wasn't won and Ogilvy smashed it in from outside the box. But Posh then proceeded to, to pepper the Jill's goal for the rest of the game. Sadly, they just lacked quality and, and precision. 17 of their 19 shots were either blocked or off target, which I think kind of sums it up. But... I'm not too concerned because those same players that were lacking quality and precision very rarely lack quality and precision for more than one game at a time. Everyone is fit, as far as I can tell, for Posh. They have such a settled team and so many match winners in it. You know, they're not the, the perfect team. Uh, we've seen that at times this season. They do often chuck in a poor performance, like the one on Tuesday. Often it seems like they start slowly in games. Their, their record in the second half of matches is amazing. And, and while that's clearly a positive, I guess if you're really holding them to high standards, you'd want them to hit the ground running a little quicker in, in many games. But... With Ferguson's in-game management, I'd say that the tweaks that he makes, which he's able to do because he's got a lot of very versatile players, he often switches between a 4-2-3-1 or a 3-4-3. Those tweaks do often seem to, to make a big difference. And of course, you can't ignore the, the front three. Smodix, Dembele, Clark Harris. Between the three of them, 52 league goals this season and 18 assists. Uh, it's going to be difficult for, for Charlton, even an improved Charlton, to keep them quiet for a full 90. But... I guess my main concern here for Posh just tactically would be dealing with Charlton's wide players. You spoke about them just now. Miller and Jayasimi are in brilliant form at the moment. And I guess depending on what formation Posh go with, I do feel like defending the wide areas is is a weakness of sorts. And that's only because they're strong in so many areas. I think for Charlton, attacking down the sides will be the best way of getting the ball into the final third. But then also, because they now have Stockley up top, who's a great target man um, for crosses, that would be uh, 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 an area, if I was to give Nigel Atkins some advice, some tactical advice rather than motivational advice, uh, that's where I'd be uh, telling him to, to focus his team's efforts. Uh, it's interesting that Posh are the favourites for this one at 29 to 20, despite being the away side. Uh, Charlton 9 to 5 and the draw 21 to 10. Those odds with Paddy Power. But we've been building up to this all show, George. We are in agreement that the fixture of the weekend takes place in League Two this fixture weekend. Fixture of the season, Ali. Whoa! The fixture of the season, in my opinion, in League Two this weekend uh, is Morecambe against Bolton. I, my notes say this is the one. That, that, <laughs> that, 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 that's all you need to know. Um, it's, a, it's a massive game. It's probably the biggest game in Morecambe's history. It's probably the biggest game of Ian Everett's managerial career so far. It's probably the biggest game of most of these players' careers so far. Uh, give you a quick... If, if you're not a massive League Two follower, I'll quickly read out the league table as to why in League Two. You've got three promotion places. Cambridge top of the league on 77 points, all but promoted. Cheltenham in second have played a, a game fewer on 75 points. We'd expect them to go up too. One more promotion place. Bolton, 43 Played 43 uh, games, 73 points. Morecambe played 43, 72 points. Goal difference, Bolton plus six, Morecambe plus eight. I mean, it, it couldn't be poised any better with the team one point behind with a better goal difference as well. So if they were to win this game, Morecambe would go two points clear of Bolton with two games to play with the goal difference on top as well. Um, it's massive. And the thing I love about this is that it is the polar opposite in terms of what we two clubs in terms of what we expected from them this season Bolton were you know the big club who had bad off field issues which looked to be resolved who spent big in the summer recruited a new manager recruited Owen Doyle you know the, the poster boy for league two goal scoring who were the bookies favourites to win the league up against Morecambe who have defied the odds every season in terms of not getting relegated who have the lowest budget in league two who are you know the unfashionable team who we don't expect to ever get out of League Two, and if they do, probably they go the other way. 
unlike Bolton, who we know their stay in this division, no matter what happens the next few weeks, will be a, a short one. Um, Morecambe come into this in rampant form. You know, they had three, they had three winless games, and it looked like, I think we even said on this podcast, it looked like it, the season was just a little bit too long for them to to have the staying power to stay in the in the top three. Well, we're fools because they've scored eleven goals in their last three games. Um, and again, so many players uh, stepping up at this crucial time of the season. You know, Adam Phillips's departure to, you know, he's recalled by Burnley and sent out on loan again to Accrington in January, barely playing at Accrington. And I think his departure has just enabled other players in the side um, to step up. You know, we spoke to Aaron Wildig on the podcast a few weeks ago. He's continued his brilliant form, involved in so many goals. Carlos Mendes Gomez, the you know, the star young player who's who's their top goal scorer this season, Tamani Diagaraga, the veteran centre midfielder, showing in both games, both in, in midweek and on the, on the weekend, showing a, the twinkle toes that we didn't really know he possessed in terms of creative force. They couldn't be in a better spot going into this. But the one player that I want to really focus on here is Cole Stockton, the, the striker, who had never scored more than five goals in a league campaign before this season. He is... You know, he's he's that kind of striker that we know is is very physical. He holds the ball up well. He bring other brings other players into 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 play. But Derek Adams has done an amazing job in keeping those parts of his game, but now adding a goal scoring touch, a finishing touch too. He scored seven in his last twelve games and has been in really good form over the last couple of weeks. They're a side who I think will be suited by the way this game will play out. Uh, Bolton, a team who are happy to to control the ball and to, to control possession. Morecambe devastating on the counter-attack and when you look further ahead into the uh, in, into what, what lies ahead of them both Morecambe have games against Walsall and Bradford Bolton against Exeter and Crawley so Morecambe probably just about having the easier running it's so delicately poised it feels to me like one of the best games we've had in the EFL that isn't a playoff match it kind of feels like a playoff final with more drama to come afterwards massive massive game uh, I'm, I'm almost too nervous to think about for Morecambe fans for whom yeah I mean it's just if if they were able to get this scalp to to beat the you know the big boys of League 2 and put themselves in the driving seat for um, for promotion then it's just a season an incredible story this season under Derek Adams that can uh, that could still get better well I guess I'm nervous for the Bolton fans because (laughs) the way you've set it up there in every way both looking at the league table and comparing the the size and the trajectories of of the clubs. It feels like they're the ones with more to lose here at Bolton Wanderers. So that's who I'm nervous about. Now I'm going to add one small thing because you have done a a very good job in building the excitement for this one. Just to add one more wrinkle to proceedings, George. Neither team has ever beaten the other one in their histories because they've only played once and it was back in (laughs) February and it was a one-all draw. And Bolton were leading, Marcus Madison got sent off and it was a late-ish equaliser from Brad Lyons and Morecambe. And Morecambe played pretty well in that game. They won't be put off by what happened in that reverse fixture, that's for sure. But let's not forget this Bolton side, right? I mean, it's positives, isn't it? Let's not let's not pretend there's a ton of holes to pick in this Bolton side either, as much as we love Morecambe too. This team sure know how to win. 14, in fact, in their last 19 14 wins for 45 points in 19 games. It's an astonishing record. The best in the EFL in that time. On Tuesday, they beat Carlisle. A tough game, but a 1-0 win. Uh, They went ahead in the first half, then faced a barrage of shots, but stood firm. Santos and Baptiste again rock solid at the back. And you're right to point out that in in League Two terms, in footballing terms, in historical terms, these teams are, are polar opposites. You just have to look at the careers of the current Bolton squad. You'll find that most of them have spent most of it playing at a much higher level. That's not the case for the Morecambe players. But if that might suggest a squad that wouldn't scrap or maybe that lacks motivation to succeed, well, Ian Everett has absolutely made sure that's not the case. And I think as much as as anything else, and he's a manager who who has an interesting tactical approach as well, that's what I'm most impressed about uh, this season. I can't wait for this either, George. I find it very tough to call. And as if it could get any better, so do Paddy Power, because Morecambe 13-8 to to win the game. Bolton... 13-8 13-8 to, to win the game as we record on Thursday morning. The draw, 21-10. to 10. It is, as you say, the, the game of the season so far. I'm happy to give it that billing. And I can't wait for it. 
that's it for this show three huge games to look forward to this weekend and on Monday Matt, Adrian, Sam and Joe Jacobson will be on hand to review them all we'll be back on Thursday but until then it's goodbye from us you've been listening to the Totally Football League show Extra Time part of the Athletic Podcast Network keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at the Totally Show on Twitter and Insta Check out all of The Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on The Athletic app. The Totally Football League Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.